Hello, I'm Kieran Beer, Chief Analyst and Director of Editorial Content at ACAMS, the world's largest professional organization for anti-financial crime professionals. Thanks for joining me for Financial Crime Matters. In this episode, I talk with Anton Moisienko, Research Fellow, and Kyla Eisenman, Research Analyst at RUSI, also known as the Royal United Services Institute, which is the world's oldest independent think tank on international defense and security. We discussed the recent report, Gaming the System, Money Laundering Through Online Games, which details how some money launderers are exploiting the online gaming industry and what can be done to stop it. Here we go. Why this report? The real explanation is that we wanted to do something fun. <laughs> the explanation that we gave to Did our Did you boss, get to play games while you were doing this? Oh, sadly uh, not. No, we've, we've been discussing this for such a long time, <laughs> and we were too shy to do it in the office. The official reason for that is that we run a program that looks at how new technologies provide opportunities for money laundering, and we explored different sectors of the online economy. Given several revelations, in particular in relation to Fortnite, one of the video games, uh, the video gaming sector was one of the natural areas that drew our attention because there are billions of dollars that change hands in online games. There are in-game items that are widely tradable and that seems to open up opportunities for money laundering that we were interested in understanding a bit better and explaining to people who work in financial crime prevention. To give a context to an audience that may or may not spend a lot of time in the e-game world, what's this game look like? What do I do on Fortnite? So the thing to bear in mind in relation to Fortnite and indeed many other video games, so we don't want to single out any particular game, sure. is that they have in-game items and currencies that have real-life value and are being widely traded. That means that, for example, if you have stolen card details that you want to monetize, then you might want to purchase in-game items and then resell them to someone as a way to launder your criminal gains. My idea of these games is that most of them have some kind of quest. I earn or I buy items along the way, and that's what you're talking about with these, these things. Yeah, a lot of them you can purchase items directly from the company that runs the game. When you talk about Counter-Strike Go, you can buy container keys directly from Valve, who operate the game. You can do that in most games in some form. With fiat money, you can then purchase items that only operate in-game. And in a lot of the games, you're able to then take those in-game items, trade them to other users, sell them on marketplaces that operate within the economy of the game itself. You can use the key that you've gotten or the gold that you've gotten with dollars or pounds. You can use that in-game and you can purchase a potion or you can purchase a specific type of weapon and you're able to use it that way. The problem comes when you then some people try to cash out, use those in-game items, and sell them back for fiat currency. There are a multitude of third-party websites that host trading operations for various games, which are usually against the terms of service of the game, and they will say, okay, you list your magic potion that you've bought in-game, or however you got it, you list it here, you choose the price, and someone can contact you and either buy the item, or they might be able to buy the whole account if you have specific capabilities for your characters, and they will pay you again in fiat currency, and you will give them the items that you've bought in-game. So that's not being facilitated by the gaming companies, but nevertheless, there's this whole third-party marketplace trade system. Say you got the item with stolen credit card details, and you bought your in-game item. 
then you're then able to take your in-game item, which some might think of as worthless, and sell it back for money that then can't really be traced back to the place that you originally got it from. So just to add to this, there are three ways to get your in-game items illegally. The first way would be to use stolen card details, just in the same way as you might buy any other goods or services that are being traded online. The second way would be for you to purchase in-game items out of criminal income, in that case, you need to have a bank account that you would use. The primary responsibility for detecting that would be with the bank and the payment service provider that are being involved as financial institutions. But still, this is another way of getting in-game items legally. And thirdly, you have some people running fairly sophisticated operations that exploit glitches within games to generate in-game items in breach of the terms of service of a particular game and that used to be particularly prominent and widespread in early 2000s when people actually ran so-called gold farming factories in China with people playing full-time to do exactly that. Now the practice has abated but this is still an option for people who want to gain those items illegally. Are there other things that you've found that suggest that this is in fact money laundering? The things that have been reported on fairly widely is the use of stolen card details. That is clearly money laundering and that is what happened in CSGO. That is the reason why Valve closed down the marketplace where the container keys could then be resold, which was an attractive feature for money launderers because if you want to launder money through an online game, you're not interested in in-game items for their own sake, you're interested in the opportunity to resell them for fiat currency. So let's talk about Valve for a minute. They become a case study on what the gaming company should do. I think it's definitely a good step. We were both impressed by the fact that they came right out and said that most of the activity they'd seen with these specific transactions was related to money laundering or fraud. They did, however, target a very specific type of transaction. They targeted buying a container key and then trading it or reselling it in-game. Because their hypothesis is that that is only used by fraudsters and not so much used by legitimate players. So it's certainly a great step in the right direction, but it's not necessarily the only thing they can do. And it's a very helpful case study in understanding the root of the problem. So the root of the problem is that in-game items can sometimes have real-world value. And the reason for that is the opportunity to trade them for real money. If you take away that component of the landscape, if you can only use in-game items within a given game, then there are very few, if any, money laundering vulnerabilities. But the fact is that some games, relatively few of them, allow their in-game items and currencies to be traded officially, and even more games have their items traded unofficially, unwittingly, because those are being traded on extraneous marketplaces that operate specifically to enable this kind of commerce, which is incompatible with the rules of those games. How does the trade take place? In some cases, you might have somebody with stolen card details who would mm -hmm. want to buy uh, in-game items either from either other players mm -hmm. on illegal marketplaces or just in-game. Sorry, as a note, there were a bunch of case studies of that with uh, Apple's store, with Clash of Clans and Clash Royale, where fraudsters were basically automating 
trying to use stolen credit cards until they would hit the one that would work, and then they would buy mm. lots of gems in, say, Clash of Clans. Mm -hmm. So there are examples of this happening. Oh, that's right. And, and there are parties to those transactions that might be innocent in the sense that maybe I am a very bad gamer, which is <laughs> right. I suppose you don't boast that you have to buy your, uh, your gems. Yeah, or, right? <laughs> well, exactly. And if I wanted to be really well respected in a game, I might be tempted to actually buy some of the artifacts that would enable me to be this powerful gamer. And then I would go to one of those illicit third-party unofficial marketplaces mm -hmm. and I would buy in-game items from someone and just pay them with the bank transfer. Mm -hmm. Now the question there is how would they transfer the item to me? So in some games it's possible for one character to just give an in-game item to another character. In other games that might not necessarily be possible or easy but you could just hand over the control over your account to someone else. Mm -hmm. And that is the way in which all of the items associated with that character would be transferred to the buyer. Now, we're not looking at dark web marketplaces where they're super hard to access and if you went looking for them you couldn't necessarily find them. All you have to do is Google Final Fantasy Marketplace and you'll find tens of maybe even hundreds of results of places, of, of websites and platforms that are offering account transfers, item transfers, in-game currency transfers, all sorts of stuff. You can do it on a variety of websites, you can check reviews for some of the sellers. It's a whole sort of economy that's going on. And up until 2007 you could do it on eBay, but then eBay clamped down on this trade because they acknowledged that it was in breach of the rules of those games, so they added this kind of in-game weaponry uh, to the list of items that were banned from so if we try to understand this as a potential tool for money laundering, in addition to getting gamers to pay for these, how would that work beyond the gaming world that I would use these as a currency? Is it, do you have a sense of that from the report? And there are kind of two propositions here. The first proposition is that a lot of people treat those items as having value, which is amply demonstrated by the fact that they are being traded for real money on all those marketplaces. And the second proposition is that if something has this subjective value, then you can use it to pay people. And indeed, it seems to be fairly similar to virtual currency. Should all of the dealers be registered as MSBs? The answer is fairly straightforward. If you fall within the legal definition of a regulated business, then you should comply with all the requirements that attach to that. The practical issue is, are the regulators paying attention? Or is this something far below their radar? That seems to be the case. But once again, we've got the example of the Linden Labs, which apparently of its own volition acknowledged that they fall within this regulatory regime, and that is an encouraging sign. Because they're online businesses, they collect a huge amount of analytics on their users. That's how Valve was even able to make that announcement saying, we've looked at these transactions, we've seen this pattern, and we're going to do X, Y, and Z to stop that. And that's a great example of what can be done, but that can definitely be taken further. There are other areas where we aren't able to say, okay, look at what the pattern of transactions in Fortnite looks like, look at who's buying stuff in RuneScape, but the people who can do that are the companies that are holding their users' information. They have all that information and the customers are willingly giving it up. Those companies do have, if not a responsibility, then perhaps an interest in looking more at the analytics and the data and the patterns that they can find within their own systems and understanding better how their own economies work and where their own gaps might be, because it does change depending on the game. For example, if a game developer realizes that an account that 
used to be used by a person in New York is now being accessed from Moscow. That seems to be suspicious. So do then try to investigate what happened here and potentially report that to law enforcement if there are some financial transactions that are associated with that. If, for example, you see that um, the same person that was connected to that account also transferred in-game items to a range of people who are seemingly unrelated. All of that would point to some sort of illegal trade going on. But now there are no expectations as to whether game developers should investigate and should report to law enforcement because they're not parts of the regulatory regime. And we're not saying that they should be because that would involve lots of burdens that they're not currently facing, but they should be alive to the possibility that their services might be misused and they should think about how they ought to prevent that. Yeah. What can we tell financial institutions about this? I mean, it might be worth at least being familiar with these third-party markets that are going on because these people are certainly exchanging in-game currencies or items for fiat currency. So if you're seeing player auctions or G2G as, as a transaction on someone's statement and in their account, I'm not saying that's necessarily a huge red flag, but it should be at least something that financial institutions are aware of and thinking about. And perhaps if it's a lot of those smaller transactions where they're getting money from those places, that might indicate something. I'm not sure that we are welcome messengers because we're saying that <laughs> there should be one extra component to the million of things that financial yes. institutions right. are already yeah. doing. Well, don't be excited to hear that. Yes. Well, <laughs> well, it keeps everybody employed. That's well, exactly. Uh, and the counter-argument to that would be, well, look, you know, if you, for example, monitor for uh, illicit gambling transactions and identify unlawful gambling websites that people pay and receive money from, then why not try and, if you can, do something similar in relation to those third-party exactly. websites that Kayla referred to? It's something to give the enterprising compliance officer uh, <laughs> to think about, and maybe perhaps someone who's a spare-time gamer. Yeah. Well, exactly. I want to thank you, Anton Moisienko and Kayla Eisenman, for being here, and thank Rusi for the work that they've done and continue to do. Of course. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you, Kira. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Crime Matters. I hope you enjoyed my talk with Anton Moisienko and Kyla Eisenman from RUSI. If you did like what you heard, please subscribe to Financial Crime Matters with Kieran Beer on Apple Podcasts or Spotify because financial crime matters to me and to you. See you next time.